Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So, many of us have, uh, have been thinking about uh, war, about what's going on in, in Ukraine. We have uh, decided to take a break from being an expert uh, virologists and epidemiologists and have become uh, experts in the theme of war. And I'm sure we all have a lot of important opinions to share. But uh, as, as we've been thinking about, um, you know, about Russia, about Ukraine, about the war, uh, one of the reports that I've, that I've read in the, in the letter of, of news that are out there is that apparently there are some Russian soldiers who are dressing up either as, as civilians or, or as uh, Ukrainian soldiers and are, you know, kind of infiltrating. Um, and so the point of this is that when you are in a war, when you are in a battle, it's very good to know who the enemy is, right? It's very good to know or to be able to recognize who is the enemy so that you are able to fight or flee or whatever it is that, that you need to do in that particular case. And so here in the book of Revelation, we have uh, five enemies of God. We have five different enemies that are listed in the book of Revelation. One of them probably, the, or not probably, absolutely one of them, the biggest and the ultimate enemy of God is the dragon, also known as the serpent or uh, Satan, the deceiver of, of the whole world. Uh, so that's one, but then we see that, that the dragon gives his power to the beast, and then we see that there is a second beast that comes. And then we are briefly introduced to Babylon, but we're, we're not really told a whole lot about Babylon, and, and that's what we're going to focus on today. And then lastly, the fifth enemy would be the, the people who had the mark of the beast, who had received the mark of the beast. And so in the book of Revelation, uh, each one of those enemies is dealt with. So in the, in the last chapter, in, in chapter, chapters 15 and 16, I think it, the main thrust is, is how God is dealing with those who have received the mark of the beast. It deals a little bit with the beast, but it's, it's not yet the final uh, the final blow to the beast. We're gonna we're gonna see that in the in the in the upcoming chapters. We're gonna see how the beast, the second beast, and the dragon are ultimately destroyed. Uh, but in chapter seventeen, we are talking about Babylon, and this is again this is a theme that has that has been introduced, but we don't really know a whole lot about Babylon uh, so far from the book of Revelation. So let's pray. And we'll read the passage. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you are in perfect control of everything. Nothing escapes your your will, your control. Your purposes are always fulfilled. And we can rest in that, Lord. God, thank you that we get to read from the book of Revelation. We get to uh, study your word. 
thank you for the things that you have revealed to us. And we pray for wisdom to understand the things that are still confusing to us. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that we have in him. We thank you that he will come and conquer your enemies, Lord, and rescue your people. God, I pray that you fill us with your spirit as we look at your word, that you give us understanding, that you uh, fill me with your spirit and, and help me to preach your word. And I pray that we would be encouraged by what we read, about what we learn, that we would be challenged, that we would grow in our love for you. Please guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's uh, read Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it has seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they had, sorry, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw. They and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate 
and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over the royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. This is the word of God. So in this, in this uh, chapter and in the following chapter, uh, Revelation, the revelation that God gave to John, focuses on Babylon, the great prostitute. And like I said, up to this point, we haven't really seen a whole lot about Babylon. Babylon has been mentioned, uh, but we have not really seen a full description of Babylon. But in this case, one of the angels who, who, uh, who, who pours one of the seven bowls of God's wrath comes to John and he brings him into another vision, basically, or he brings him in the spirit into the wilderness and shows him this vision of Babylon. And like I was saying at the beginning, I think it's important for us to be able to identify God's enemies. And ultimately, if they are God's enemies and we are God's people, they are our enemies as well. And it is important for us to identify our enemies and the enemies of God because, for example, one, one important distinction is that throughout the book of Revelation, Christians are called to conquer the beast. But Christians are not called to conquer Babylon. Rather, Christians are called in, verse eight, in chapter 18, um, verse 4, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. So while Christians are called to battle against the beast, to conquer the beast, Christians are at the same time called to flee from Babylon. And so I think it's important for us to distinguish. And, and there are practical implications to this that we're going to get to. I'll get to those in a moment. But for now, I just want to plant that little idea in our minds that it is important to distinguish between God's enemies because that way we know how to, how to react, how to, how to engage or disengage in the case of Babylon. Now, Babylon, as we will see as well in, in the in the coming chapters, Babylon is the antithesis of the New Jerusalem. So Babylon is this city, this great city that has uh, power, has dominion over the kings of the earth. So Babylon is a city. But then in a couple of chapters, we are going to be introduced to another city. And this city is the New Jerusalem. And so everything that is true of, of, of the New Jerusalem is not true of Babylon. Everything that is true of Babylon is not true of Jerusalem. They are complete opposites. They are absolute opposites. So in this, in this chapter, uh, the main point that I want us to see is that God will certainly judge Babylon. Therefore, we must flee from her. God will certainly judge Babylon and therefore we must flee from her, from Babylon. So Babylon is, is uh, portrayed as this woman, and she is arrayed in, in, uh, with jewels, and, and uh, she's dressed up. She, she has a golden cup. Like, everything seems very luxurious. Everything seems, uh, um, it, it, it seems beautiful on the outside. It seems attractive. It seems, it seems enticing. 
but the picture turns turns ugly right away, right? Because even even though she has a golden cup, what's in her golden cup is disgusting. It's terrible. It's it's immorality. It's it's abominations. It's the impurities of her sexual immorality. So Babylon is the seat of sexual immorality, idolatry, and every passion and desire that is contrary to God. Now, Babylon is a a uh, is something that we are introduced early on in the Bible. If you go back to actually don't turn there, but if on your time, if you go back to Genesis 11 and you read the story of the Tower of Babel, that is the 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 earliest mention of of that city of Babylon of the spirit of that city. But if you go back, you could actually trace it all the way back to Cain, right? Because Cain is the one that he kills his brother. God gives him a punishment, and then in Genesis uh, four, I believe, uh, the Cain's um, Cain's uh, descendants are listed, and so he has, you know, he has children, and his great grandson, whose name is Lamech, or, or yeah, I think it's Lamech, he immediately breaks God's law by marrying two women. So he breaks God's uh, command, God's uh, original design in marriage. And not only that, but he kills a young person and he basically mocks God. He says, oh, well, Cain, you know, Cain's punishment was sevenfold. Well, let my punishment be 70-fold. And he's saying, in other words, he's saying, I'm, I'm more wicked than Cain. I'm, I'm worse than Cain and I don't care about God's concern for human life. And, and so right there at that moment, the spirit of Babylon is present in that the spirit of Babylon is against the commandments of God. It's against the, the, the mind of God. And so everything that is against the commandments of God, against the mind of God, everything that, that stands for sexual immorality, for murder, for passion, for luxury, for self-indulgence, all of that is Babylon. In Genesis 6, uh, verses 5 and 6, it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of their thoughts, sorry, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That is Babylon, the wickedness of the human heart. Again, thinking about Genesis 11, this is what the people of Babel said to one another. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its, stop in the, with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Remember that God's original design was that they would be fruitful and multiply, that they would disperse over the face of the earth. But these people... They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be greater than God. They built this, uh, this huge tower because they wanted a name for themselves. They were giving themselves the glory that only belonged to God. And then they, again, were breaking God's original design, God's original command. So Babylon is everything that is opposed to God, everything that breaks God's commands. And Babylon is in the human heart. Babylon is, is a human um, 
it's it's a human institution while the dragon is is you know outside of humanity and the dragon is empowering the beast and and uh, empowering the second beast babylon is this human system that is opposed to god so this is babylon the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. Now, well, we're not, we're not going to get there yet. So for the churches that, that John is writing to, for the seven churches of Asia Minor, I think that we see some, some uh, signs of Babylon, right? We see, for example, that uh, to one of the churches, he warns them about the teaching of the Nicolaitans, the, t- the teaching of Balaam, because basically they were teaching the church to practice idolatry. They were teaching the church to practice sexual immorality. They were teaching the church to eat food that was sacrificed to the idols. In other words, they were teaching the church to compromise. These churches were a part of the, of the Roman Empire, and they were a part of a very uh, uh, pluralistic, multi-religion society. And so some of these false teachers in the church were teaching people and saying, hey, you know, you can be a Christian. It's okay. And it's okay to compromise. It's okay to offer uh, uh, food to these idols, or it's okay to, to eat the food that has been offered to these idols. It's okay to, pra- to practice some of the, the, the immoral rites for worship of these gods or go to these parties. It's okay. No big deal. So these Christians were already facing the spirit of Babylon. We also see it, for example, in the church of Thy- uh, Thyatira, that there was a woman named Jezebel, and she was a false prophetess. And same thing, she was teaching them to uh, compromise morally. She was teaching them to practice immorality. So Babylon was very much present at the time that, that the book of Revelation is being written. Babylon was flourishing, and Babylon was something that the believers were struggling to stay away from. The believers, that was, that was one of the main temptations. If you think about it in the, in the book of Revelation, the main two temptations that the believers have, or not temptations, but the main two attacks against the church, one of them comes at the hand of the, the dragon-empowered beast, which is persecution, which is uh, killing them, which is waging war against them and eventually conquering them for a little while. But the other side of that coin is the enticement of Babylon, the attraction of Babylon, the temptation of Babylon. So it's a twofold struggle that believers have. They have persecution from the beast. Uh, uh, they are being killed by the beast. And at the same time, they are, they are being enticed by Babylon. So these believers in the seven churches of Asia Minor, they knew or they had to know really well who the enemy was. They had to be very aware of the enticements of Babylon. And so the question for us is, do we know how the spirit of Babylon is present in our society? Are we aware of it? Are we aware of the attractions of Babylon in our lives? We need to be aware and alert uh, uh, to the influence of Babylon. I think Babylon is very much present in our society in terms of materialism. I would say uh, uh, present in, in our country. 
in, the, in, uh, in terms of materialism, love of money, sexual immorality, passions that are opposed to God, compromise with the world. But we as Christians, as we see in, in chapter 18, we are called to flee Babylon lest we participate in her sins and be destroyed along with her. So Babylon and the beast are related, but they are not the same, right? We see in the vision, we see that Babylon is a woman and she is, uh, she is riding a beast. She is seated on a beast. So clearly Babylon and the beast are not the same thing. They are very much related, right? At the time, uh, they both were a part of the Roman Empire. The beast was, was the, the power, the military power of the Roman Empire, the emperor the, the, uh, the system that was persecuting Christians. But within the Roman Empire, or sponsored by the Roman Empire, Babylon was alive and well. The desires of the flesh, the, the, the passions of the flesh, they were alive and well in Rome. But in this vision, we see that at first, Babylon is friends with the beast. Right? First, Babylon is riding the beast. And, and in fact, it says that, you know, uh, in verse 18 says, And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. The kings of the earth come and, and commit immorality with her. So definitely, Babylon has a lot of influence on the kings of the earth. Babylon has a lot of influence on Rome. But ultimately, they are not the same. And the reason why I think this is important, remember that, that I said that there was a distinction and the distinction is important is because throughout the book of Revelation, the way that we relate to the beast is we conquer. We fight against it. We resist the beast. Now, I, I think we've made this clear, but just in case that, that uh, uh, we need some clarification, when I mean that we need to conquer the beast, I don't, I don't, I don't mean we need to go purchase guns and and go fight against, I don't know, whoever it is that we disagree in the government or, or whatever it is that we identify as the beast. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that we fight against the beast and we conquer the beast the same way that our Lord Jesus conquered the serpent, which was by, the, by his faithful witness. Jesus is described as the faithful witness. And then the saints, the army of 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 the Lamb are also described as faithful witnesses. And they, they bear witness to the truth. They bear, with, they bear witness to Christ. And so the way that we wage war against the beast is by proclaiming the message of the gospel. The way that we wage war against the beast is by, by speaking the truth about who God is. We wage war against the beast by saying, no, beast, you are not God. And therefore, you do not deserve worship. God is the only one who deserves worship because he is the creator of the world. So that's how we fight against the beast. But we are not called to wage war or to conquer Babylon. The call is different. The call is to flee from Babylon. And I think this is important because I suspect that many Christians have taken the call to flee from Babylon 
and applied it to all of God's enemies and basically say, oh yeah, we, we have to flee from Babylon. We have to flee from the bees. We have to flee from all of these things and just kind of hunker down in a little corner of the world. Maybe, uh, maybe you know, start our own Christian city and, and just hide until Jesus comes and delivers us from his enemies. But that's not the message of Revelation. The message is no, go, fight, resist. Bear witness to the truth. Conquer the beast. Of course, it, we, we saw in, in chapter 11, for example, and following that conquering a lot of the times means dying as a martyr, right? So the, 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 the terms of, of the way that we wage war, that we wage this war is very different from maybe some expectations that people may have. But, the point that I'm trying to make is that we are not called to flee from the beast. We are called to resist, to stand our ground, to, to, to make an advance. When Jesus says, um, man, the quote is leaving me. When Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The image is not that of the gates of hell attacking the church, right? They are gates after all. The image is the church making an assault on the gates of hell. And what it means when it says that they will not prevail against the church is that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the attacks that the church is making on the gates of hell. So that should be our attitude when conquering the beast, when fighting against the beast, and, and, and uh, when waging war. But when it comes to Babylon, we are to flee Babylon. Why? Well, because Babylon is such a distraction from our battle, from our war. Because Babylon is, is all of the passions of this world, all of the, the desires of this world, all of the sexual immorality of this world. And we, if we are engaged in all of those things, then we cannot be a part of the army of the Lamb. Remember the description of the army of the Lamb in chapter, um, in chapter, in chapter 14? It says, um, ver, uh, chapter 14, verse 4, It is those who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. And we explained, of course, that it doesn't mean that, you know, we have to be virgins, but it means that we have to be ceremonially clean for this battle. It means that we have to flee sexual immorality. It means that there should be no lie found in our mouth because we should be blameless. If we want to belong to the army of the Lamb, those are the qualifications that we need. But someone who is waging war against the beast while being a happy citizen of the city of Babylon and enjoying all the joys and the, and the, the, the sinful pleasures of Babylon, he doesn't serve to be a soldier. That person does not serve to be a good soldier waging war against, against the enemy. And that's why I make the distinction. We have to flee Babylon, but we have to wage war against the beast. 
and and again, I think the question for us or, or the, the, the implication for us is we need to look at our own lives and ask, are we allowing the influence of Babylon into our homes, into our lives? Do we claim to be part of the Lamb's army on the one hand, but then on the other hand, the shows that we watch our night say exactly the opposite? They are full with with Babylon and all of her pleasures? Do we claim to be fighting against the beast and waging war against the gates of hell? But then the stuff that we watch on the internet is the exact opposite. The stuff that we watch on the internet, is, is, is that defiling us? Is that disqualifying us from being a part of this army of the Lamb? This, this would be inconsistent, of course, right? If I were to, to say that I'm a soldier in the army of the Lamb, but, but I'm allowing Babylon to, to enter into my house, into my life, this would be uh, inconsistent, but it is also extremely dangerous. Why? Because what is the end of Babylon? The end of Babylon is destruction, right? Babylon is fallen. In um, in chapter fourteen, we get a little bit of ta- a little taste of that. Chapter fourteen, verse eight says, "Another angel, second, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of her pa- of the passion of her sexual immorality." In verse seventeen, we get the full picture. We we get the full story of what happened, or what will happen to Babylon. And look at the description of what happened. In, in, in chapter 18, we're going to get a very vivid description of, of the, all the terrible stuff uh, that happened to Babylon. But in verse 16, we get a summary. Chapter 17, verse 16. And the, and the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over the royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. The end of Babylon is destruction. That's a reason why we have to flee from Babylon because if we engage with Babylon, if we participate in the pleasures of Babylon, well, number one, we participate in her sins. And if we participate in her sins, then we will participate in her destruction. We will be destroyed with her. That's why we are called to flee Babylon. Now, the, the, uh, the vision itself is, is a complicated one. It's uh, similar to, the, the wording is similar to, to the idea of the, the number of the beast, right? 666. In fact, uh, uh, verse 9 actually is, is pretty much the same wording. It, uh, the angel tells John, this calls for a mind with wisdom. And then he goes on to explain, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Um, of course, there are tons of different interpretations as to what all of this means. Um, I think the one thing that most people agree with is that the seven mountains are an, uh, a way of identifying Rome. 
Rome was identified as the, the city on seven hills. And so this is, this is something that pretty much everyone across the board says, okay, so the, the seven heads are Rome. So this beast represents Rome. Um, seven kings is where obviously everyone starts to, to divide. Some people will say, well, these are the emperors of Rome up to Nero. Um, I, I don't know the names of all of them, but basically there are, you know, five emperors and there is uh, Nero. Eventually Nero uh, uh, kills himself and there come three other kings that last for a very long time. Oh, sorry, for a very short time. Um, now, there are other people that would say these seven kings are actually seven kingdoms, right? So it would be old Babylon, and then it would be Assyria, then it would be the new, new Babylon, then it would be Greece, then it would be Rome, and, and so forth. And then there are people, of course, that would say, no, all of this is talking about future events, and therefore we don't know who these kings are. Many people uh, really enjoy passing their time looking at the newspaper and seeing, oh, maybe, maybe Putin is uh, one of them, or whatever. I, I personally don't like to do that. Um, What I do believe is that I, I am very open to this being a description of the destruction of Jerusalem. You know, there are actually several people that would say that this Babylon is a reference to Jerusalem. I, I, I actually don't, wouldn't go as far as to say I think that Babylon is uh, the, you know, Jerusalem that, that is destroyed in 70 A.D., Although I'm not opposed to saying maybe a little picture of this destruction of Babylon was seen in 78 AD when unfaithful Jerusalem, who had killed all of the prophets and eventually killed Jesus, is finally punished for her unbelief. But at the same time, I'm very open. In fact, I, I, I do think that this is a description of the fall of Rome. Because again, Rome killed a lot of God's saints and prophets. Rome tortured a lot of Christians, a lot of believers. And ultimately, Rome was destroyed. Rome and her passions and her sinfulness and everything that she promoted was destroyed. And, you know, some of you might say, well, you're cheating because you're basically saying that you're open to all of the views. Well, you know, that's, that's the beauty of not being committed to any single one of the views. I am very much open to this being a description of the very end. In fact, I also believe that this could be, this is a description of the final destruction of this evil, sinful system that is opposed to God. Why? Because I know that God's enemies will not go unpunished. Because I know that God will not leave sin undealt with. God will punish rebellion. And so I am sure that this is how God's enemies will meet his wrath throughout history. And I'm sure that this is how God's enemies will meet his wrath at the end of history. And I think we, we all have seen it, right? Throughout history, we all have seen, well, you know, not live through it, or at least not all of it, but we can look back in the, in the books of history and we can see how nations will rise and become super powerful and, and conquer other nations. 
until God comes and meets them with his wrath and brings justice and destroys his enemies. And one of the things that God does and that we see in this, in this chapter is that he will turn evil against evil. And this is what happens to Babylon. Even though she has a lot of influence and she has power over the kings and the kings have committed sexual immorality with her and they are in cahoots with her, ultimately, they turn against her and destroy her. And I want to make a point here, and, and this is pretty much my, the, the last, my last point, is that God's purposes will always be fulfilled. God is sovereign, and he does whatever he pleases. And in this case, notice in verse 17, the fact that these kings and that the beast turned against the woman was not an accident. It was not like one day they were like, oh yeah, we love Babylon. And the next day they were like, oh, we hate Babylon for no reason. What does it say in verse 17? For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And this should encourage us. This should give us peace. This should give us uh, um, faith in God because we know that there is nothing out there that happens outside of God's control. Especially now, right? As, as, we, as we look at the news, as we read the news and see this conflict that has the potential of becoming such a massive conflict, right? As we look at how Russia in, uh, has invaded Ukraine and how, you know, we're all waiting to see, is, is NATO going to get involved? Is the U.S. going to have to get involved? What's going to happen? Well, whatever happens, we can trust that it will be according to God's purposes. Whatever happens, we can trust that it has not left God's control. And whatever happens, we know, we know for certain that there is nothing that can harm God's elect, God's people. Remember, God sealed 144,000, which I, uh, we mentioned before. I, I believe it's a symbolic number for all of God's people. He sealed 144,000. He saved 144,000. So whoever has been sealed by God, is secure. Now, by this, I don't mean that Christians won't die. There are a lot of Christians in Ukraine. I was actually reading, it's, it's, it's the Christian with, sorry, it's the country uh, with the European country with most Christian missionaries in all of Europe. I, I'm not saying that these Christians won't be touched by the bullets or, or, you know, that they are immortal and nothing will happen to them. No, that's not what I mean. 
What I mean is that they are secure in the hands of God. And even if they die in this war, and I'm sure many of them have already died, their destiny, their life is secure in God. They are the ones already in the, before the throne of God asking the question, How long, O Lord? How long until you avenge our blood? And as we've seen in the previous chapters, in chapter 15 and chapter 16, there will be an answer to that question. And that's what we are seeing right now. God is judging his enemies. God is judging the beast. We're going to see that, how he destroys the beast. He's judging Babylon that entices the believers, this system that is extremely opposed against him. Now, there's another example of God stirring people's hearts to carry out his purpose. If you turn with me to Acts 4, Acts chapter 4, the believers in in Jerusalem are being persecuted. The council had just told Peter and John to stop preaching the gospel. And so instead of Instead of quitting preaching the gospel, they get together and they pray. And so this is their prayer in chapter 4, verse 24. They said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers. Sorry, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they're talking about Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both, sorry, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do, and this is, the, this is the, the, what I want us to see, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So notice how the killing of Jesus by Pontius Pilate, by Herod, by the, by the Gentiles, by the peoples of Israel, it was not an accident. When Jesus was killed, it was not like, like God lost control for a minute there and... and Oh man, now Jesus died. What do I do now? No. God was in perfect control. In fact, these people did exactly whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. At the worst moment in human history, when when the Son of God was being killed, God had not lost control. But rather, He... His purpose was working out exactly how he had planned it. And so if at that moment in history, he didn't lose control, then we don't have any reason to question or to be anxious about what is going on right now or what what will happen in the future because he has not lost control. He is doing his perfect will. Let's pray. God, we thank you. For your word, we thank you that your enemies will not go unjudged, unpunished. Please help us to flee Babylon and her 
uh, enticements. I'm reminded of uh, what John, this same John, wrote to, to the church. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. God, we want to love you. We want to do your will. We do not want to go against your will, against your design and your commands. We do not want to be enticed by Babylon and partake in her sins and her immorality. Please help us to remain pure, to remain blameless so that we can wage the war that you have called us to fight against the beast. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he has saved us and he has uh, chosen us and sealed us and we belong to him and we are secure in him. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.